0: Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1? 1 Peter 1, we'll be reading verses 22 through 25. That can be found on page 1,294 of your pew Bibles. We'll also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism that can be found in the Forms and Prayers book in front of you on page 226. We'll be reading Lord's Day 25 on page 226. Or we read, Let's Ask for God's Blessing. Great God in heaven, you reign supreme. And Lord, we come before you ready to hear what you have to say to us, ready to hear of the ways you have determined to strengthen the faith of your people, ready to understand in a greater and better way what preaching and what the sacraments do for the life of a believer as well as what they mean as you have given them to us. We ask, Lord, that you would give to us clarity, clarity as it is presented and spoken as well as we take it that it would be true in your sight. We pray this in your great name. Amen. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25. Pay a special attention here towards the end of the reading. The place of God's word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, sends a reading from 1 Peter, as we see there the centrality of the word of the Lord to our life. We turn to Lord's Day 25. In this Lord's Day, we are presented what in theology are called the means of grace, the means by which God brings and gives grace to his people, meaning preaching and the sacraments. It is those two means, and we see that here in Lord's Day 25. It is by faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does that faith come from? The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. What are sacraments? Sacraments are visible holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, the Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and confirms by the holy sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? Two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. People of God, what does faith take? What's the steady diet we need to have a healthy faith? We see that all the time. What diet do you need? What exercise routine do you need? You generally see it in false advertising, right? Ten easy steps to lose twenty pounds, or or now ten's probably too many steps. More like three easy steps to lose all of this weight, or eat this food and you will be healthy. Well, for our faith, what's the steady diet? What's needed for it to grow and blossom? And can faith dry up? Can faith dry up? These questions all need to be answered, and I put that important one as last. Can faith dry up? Well, the answer in truth to that question is that a true faith can't dry up. A true faith is kept secure and preserved by God. And yet in God's word we see plenty of exhortations, plenty of commands to follow and obey, plenty of warnings about what will happen to turn from the way. You see, the means that God uses to persevere, to preserve his people, is the preaching of his word and the sacraments by which our faith is strengthened, by which we receive his grace. And so, though the Lord will not allow any of his people who truly profess faith in him to fall away, he has ordained ordinary means by which he uses to preserve that faith. And as it manifests itself to us as we live our life, the perseverance of the saints is many different decisions and choices that the Holy Spirit works within us to hear God's word, to read the word, to pray, to stand on our faith. It is the Lord's work to persevere. But we are also called to work out our salvation, trusting in the Lord, for it is he who works it out. And so in answer to that question, can faith dry up? Well, yes, in that one sense it can't. But in another sense we can speak of it that it can dry up. 1 Timothy 1:18 to 18-20 says this, Paul speaking to Timothy, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You see, in this text, Paul describes those who've made shipwreck of their faith. How do we refrain from so shipwrecking our faith? Using these means. Responding to the preaching of the word, receiving the sacraments, praying to the Lord, coming before him and seeking that relationship and walk, drawing near to him. And the promise in God's word is, if you draw near to me, God will draw near to you. And thus, those who have true faith respond to that gospel call, and the Lord preserves their faith. We need our nourishment. We need that steady diet to strengthen our faith, and without that, our faith will fall away. Without that, we can speak of it as faith drying up. True faith will never fully dry up, but there are those who seem to place a faith in the Lord, and yet it doesn't endure. It's neglected. And this is the warning that we are to take. True believers, by God's grace, obey that warning. By God's strength, obey that warning. And we are called to do the same. As one pastor said, Just as with every living thing, faith must continue to grow if it is to stay alive. True faith never maintains the status quo or rests upon plateaus, but rather strives for greater maturity and strength. For this reason, the scripture speaks of faith being refined, tested, proven. The writer to the Hebrews even scolded his readers because, like children in infancy, they had not moved from the milk of the word to solid meat. And so as we sit here today, what we are to hear from these words is that necessary diet. What we are to do, what we are to take and respond and utilize, prioritize in our life, And even to that answer, how do I strengthen my faith? Turn to the word of the Lord. It is by the word, as we read from 1 Peter, that your your faith is strengthened. Sometimes we treat it so complex, it isn't rocket science. God made it very clear. Turn to him. Turn to him in prayer. Turn to his word. Listen and receive the preaching of the word with a true and sincere heart. Be fed by the sacraments. Your faith will grow when it is received by a true faith. That's what we're called to do. And that's what we would say to our congregation here. For many of us, it's not as if we are in danger of shipwrecking our our faith. It's not as if we're ready to, to fall upon the shoals of life and lose it. But that's the question then we need to hear. Well, strengthen your faith in this way. Seek his means. The church of Christ is the organ, the body of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? It means Jesus uses the church to complete his activity as prophet, priest, and king to his people It is through the church that the Lord continues to function and completes that activity of his offices. And thus we need the sacraments, we need preaching. It is through these and only these ways that the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen faith. He uses the word of God. And we see that in our first point this evening, faith's source. Faith's source. Where does faith come from? And let's start by being very clear. The source of our faith is not in man. It's not in man's will. Man or man's will cannot produce faith. Natural man is unable to grasp the things of God. Natural man is unable to choose to believe in God. And this is important. This is where many Christians get that wrong. They they don't fully say that there isn't that man is totally unable to do that. He can maybe grasp it to a degree, and, and by accepting that belief, we've we've lost what preaching ought to be. We've lost and misunderstood it. And rather, what we would want then from preaching is a bunch of application for what we must do. The actions that we have to do to save ourselves or to be acceptable to God, and and that's what we would expect to hear from preaching. We would misunderstand the sacraments. The sacraments wouldn't be what they are truly as a gift of God to his people, to nourish our faith, to seal and promise these covenant promises to his people. Rather, the sacraments would become our activity to the Lord so that we could please him. We must understand where faith comes, that the source of faith is not in natural man. No, the source of faith is first, spirit worked. Spirit worked. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Earlier in the service, we read Psalm 53. That is a great example of what man by himself can discern, what man by himself can come to, and it's only the disfavor of God. No one is righteous before him. The source of faith is not man's will, it's spirit worked. The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts. That's what we call regeneration, the new creative act that the Holy Spirit must do within us, and then it is that new life within us that responds in faith. John 3, 5, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The author of our faith is the Holy Spirit. He is the originator, the worker of faith, but he uses means. He uses methods. He uses what God has ordained to work this faith. And that's where we see that the source of faith is spirit-worked, but it's also word-centered. It's word-centered. The means of grace are word-centered, preaching and the sacraments. They present the gospel, and they don't present anything more than the gospel. We talk about the marks of a true church, those marks being the, the true preaching of God's word, the pure administration of the sacrament, and right and true church discipline, all of those marks are, are really just the application of the single mark of the Word of God having central place. And that mark, have the Word of God having central place, is preached. It's performed sacramentally, and it's administered with discipline. It's the Word of God that's being utilized. The Word of God is center. It's not that the preaching or the sacraments have intrinsic power in themselves. It's not as if God bestowed a magical property to what we're doing right now. It's not as if you can sit here and just hear the words and receive a blessing of grace unless the Holy Spirit uses it. And so the power of preaching, the power of the sacraments, is the Holy Spirit's use of them. We see that in 1 Peter 2.25. See that in in reading in verse 23 and following, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through what? The living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Sacraments do not precede the Word of God. The Word of God is central and takes primary place. Sacraments will not originate faith. You will not be saved by simply having a sacrament performed. It is the Holy Spirit's use of preaching and the Word to convict and bring about faith. Sacraments give no special grace in and of themselves unless, if they are detached from the word of the Lord, they have no power and they would have no meaning. The word of God can exist and does exist apart from the sacraments as a legitimate means of grace, but the sacraments cannot exist and are not complete without the word of God. This is important. Why is it important? Well, we'll just use one example. Roman Catholics are those who would believe that the sacraments do produce all they say, and we don't have to have a a true understanding of what is going on. You don't have to partake in true faith. You merely must not present a barrier to it, and it will produce these things. You see the danger of that error. You see how, how that would be if we're talking about this diet plan, this workout routine. That's the wrong method. If you, if you followed that, then what you'd be expecting to increase and strengthen your faith would do nothing. Because it's the Word of God received by faith. And even in the sacraments, it's that same Word that's depicted visibly. It doesn't go beyond what the Gospel gives. It doesn't go beyond the Word of God. The Word of God is central And it's delivered in preaching. We see that in the first question answer of the catechism. How is this faith worked? Where does this faith come from? It says that it's worked in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Spirit, that that's what the Holy Spirit uses. That's what makes preaching powerful. Understanding that pastors and their sermons can and do contain errors we rightly say when God's word is properly proclaimed, it is the very word of God we hear from the pulpit. It is the very the voice of God who speaks when it is properly spoken, when it is in line with the word of God, the right interpretation of his word, rightly proclaimed. He speaks to the people. It is God who speaks directly to you, and it's the Holy Spirit's use of that word to change your heart. It has nothing to do with how interesting the message might be. The power of preaching has nothing to do with the grace of the one talking, the man's lips or his tongue. The power of preaching has nothing to do with how interesting it may be, how easy to grasp it was. The power of preaching is the gospel, and the Holy Spirit uses that. And now it becomes extraordinarily powerful able to accomplish in every one of our hearts true life, greater faith, stronger faith, a greater walk with the Lord. Paul himself was one who wasn't recognized as being particularly eloquent all the time. The Corinthians especially looked down on him. He wasn't as gifted, it seemed, as others. In fact, they saw him as weak. But it wasn't the man that the power came from. It was the message. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. Paul says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where faith rests not in the wisdom of men, not in the grace on their tongue, not in their charisma. The power of preaching and its magnificence is Christ, the content, and the Holy Spirit, the operator, working in our lives and in our hearts. In a very special way, we receive this. For we always receive it in some sense through reading God's Word personally. As we read God's Word, we are fed, we are nourished. But what the Catechism is pointing out is that very special way of preaching That means that God has ordained to spread his word throughout all the earth. As we gather as a corporate body, it is in that preaching that the Lord very specially operates and blesses. And so we see then in that first means of grace, it's the preaching of God's word. But we see as well the means of grace in the sacraments. And that's where the word is sacramentally sealed the sac- that's when the word is sacramentally made visible. Faith's visible promise. That's our second point, faith's visible promise. It's a promise given for strengthening faith. So much of the sacraments is in response to promise. You see, in the sacraments, God is promising things to his people. The very definition of a promise is this. It's a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. Promise is central to the sacraments that the Lord is depicting for his people a visible means to show this is the gospel and this is what has been done. This is what I have done for you and this is my promise to you to be received in faith and that all who receive these in faith receive the very thing that the sacrament is meant to depict the promise that you receive it it's covenant promises given to his people the catechism helps give us a definition helps us to build that definition what are sacraments visible holy signs and seals instituted by god to help us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise a sacrament is a special practice begun by christ himself it's special it's holy it's set apart ordained by him It was reserved for the church who, through these visible signs, present them to our senses and depict, seal, and apply the grace of God to his people. There's mystery there. There's wonder there. And we can't fully understand how the Lord does it or what all he presents there. It's too magnificent. It's instituted by God for that purpose, to strengthen faith. There's only two. That's the last question and answer of the Lord's Day. There, How many sacraments are there? There's two, not seven, as Rome says. Just as there were two sacraments in the Old Testament, there was circumcision in the Passover, there are two in the new baptism and the Lord's Supper. We often define sacraments as signs and seals of spiritual realities or signs and seals of our salvation. But what does that mean? Now, using this old language, a sign and a seal, and and sometimes, though we we might remember the definition, we sort of can rattle it off and really not know what, what that means. Due to the weakness of our own flesh and our own strength, God has given us signs. He's given us a visible way of depicting a message and bringing a message. And so he uses tangible objects. This is what's part of the sign in sacraments. The sign is the water in baptism. It's the bread and the wine and the Lord's Supper. These are the visible means that God's using to to present a message. The cleansing of the waters of baptism. Even death with Christ and union with him. The Lord's Supper uses those means of our union with his body, our our union with him and his sacrifice, and so our our resurrection and our salvation, because we've been so united to him. We are so fed and nourished by his body and his blood shed for us that we know we're forgiven or we receive it in faith. So a sign is a visible object that conveys a message. Think of a stop sign. Now this actually has the message written on it, which makes it easier for us, but it's a sign. It's a visible object. If you were to take away the stop part of it and just remove that and leave the object and its color, we would know what it means. It's a sign that depicts a message. Stop going. Halt and cease. And the same thing with the sacraments. They point to a message. They point to something beyond themselves. That's what a sign is. But what about a seal? A seal? God assures us. He seals his word and his covenant promises to us. A seal is what makes something trustworthy. It's that guarantee that this is authentic. If it has the seal on it, you know this is coming from its source. And that's what the Lord is doing for our faith, for the gospel message, for his people. He's he's pressing his seal into it authenticating it, guaranteeing that this is true, this comes from me, these promises are for you, these promises even bring to you nourishment and grace when received in faith. They're authenticated and they show that we belong to God. I hesitate to use this illustration because this is well before my time, so I could get this way wrong. Older members in the congregation might need to, to correct me on this. I, I remember hearing of letterman jackets. I might be saying even that name wrong. I think it was just a jacket that would, ha- would have a letter on it, and it was given for, for impressive uh, feats academically or through, or through sports, some kind of thing like that. And we've all seen these jackets, these school jackets that had the letters on them. Well, it was a custom back in the day, again, well before my time, can't speak of this personally, but it would be given to a girlfriend by a a boyfriend to show that, that he was hers, sort of that mark that he could place on them, that letterman jacket with the letter on it. In a sense, and I stress that, in a sense, this is what the sacraments as well are doing, that this is God's mark upon his people, his promises given to them. As we partake of these sacraments, we are to be assured, just as you could have that jacket around you and to display to everyone, you belong to this person. For us personally, in these sacraments, we are reminded and assured we belong to God and his promises are true. It's sealed on to us. We're forgiven in Christ. We're united to him. And, and when we doubt, it's to look at that seal. To use another illustration, if you were to graduate from some school or college, you received that diploma, there's a seal on it. It's made authentic there. It's the source telling you this is genuine. Well, what we need to do at times, if you were to ever doubt, did I really complete school? Did I really accomplish that? You pull out the diploma, and there it is. There's your name, and there's a stamp and a seal on it. Sacraments are meant to do the same for us when we question, Am I really one with the Lord? Am I truly saved? We pull out the Lord's Supper, and we distribute the elements And you partake of your Savior with the promises attached with the grace that is to be received by faith to know you are indeed one with the Lord. You are indeed saved in Him. That's the beauty, or just part of the beauty of these sacraments, these signs and seals of spiritual reality, signs and seals of our salvation, as we're weak and we need them. It's a blessing that God gives. The sacraments are meant to nourish our faith. We need to stress them more. They, they, they fall out of favor so quickly in our day and age too, where we want to replace them with different visible means. Let's do other things. Let's, let's do other visible, visible activities or ceremonies. Maybe, maybe we can depict it better is, is what many think. We can't improve upon, nor should we try, to improve upon what God has given to us. He has given us two ways to, to, to show visibly what we believe. And it's baptism and it's the Lord's Supper. They're not necessary for our salvation. That's what Rome would say. Baptism is necessary for salvation. We don't say that, but we would say that we regard sacraments as, as binding in virtue of the command of God to us. We would also say that they are needed for the growth of our faith and its nourishment. So we obey and follow. And third, and, and finally, faith's grounds. We're not going to look at the last question and answer of this Lord's Day. It's very simple. It's just saying how many sacraments there are. But the one before that, question and answer 67. A lot is conveyed in the question as opposed to the answer. I'm going to read it again. Are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and confirms by the Holy Sacraments that our entire, and that's an important word there, that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. There's one grounds. Just as the source is the Spirit through the Word and and He uses sacraments, there's only one grounds of our faith, Jesus Christ, and His one sacrifice on the cross. You see, it's not not other things. We don't make it complicated. We don't make it complex. It's, It's not this and penance. And it's not this and performing this other activity. It's Jesus' one sacrifice on the cross. Our entire salvation rests there. Preaching, without that as its center and its only core, becomes simply a seminar on healthy living. An emotional pep talk. That's what preaching is, without this as its sole grounds. Sacraments that don't see this as its sole and only grounds become an empty gesture, an empty practice. Everything is meant to take us and our attention to feed our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's where the parts of the sacrament come together. There are three parts of the sacrament. The outward invisible sign... The inward grace signified, and the union between the sign and the thing signified. There's a lot of beauty here. Don't don't just zone out. There's a lot of beauty in this. The outward and visible sign, we've talked about that already, water, bread, wine, all of these outward visible elements are meant to highlight Christ and his sacrifice and their corresponding effect on a believer. So we have the first part of a sacrament, the outward sign and the display, the ceremony. There's an inward spiritual grace signified. A sign naturally points to something else. It points to something that is. It's, it's trying to signify to it. And this is the internal matter of the sacrament. It's the covenant of grace. It's the righteousness of faith, the forgiveness of sins, faith and repentance, communion with Christ in his death and resurrection. In other words, it's the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we have the visible sign, the internal reality of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, and here's the beauty when those two things meet and join together, the union between the sign and the thing signified. It is the union between the sign and the thing signified that really is the, the, the center, the whole point of the sacrament itself. That spiritual reality that the sacraments depict are received then in faith. And so, what the visible sign was pointing to, and the internal reality of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, is joined together and through the sign and the sacrament, by faith, and only by faith, do we truly receive Christ Himself. It's amazing. The beauty of that, they're not empty gestures. They're not empty ceremonies. And that's how they strengthen our faith. Not because we just remember the sacrifice, but because we're joined to Christ by faith, even through these visible means. That is how we strengthen faith, and that is how we avoid shipwrecking faith, the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacrament, the means of grace that God has given for us, his people. It is a mark of the compassion and love of our God that he's given us these things. Don't neglect them. Don't neglect them. Boys and girls, maybe, you're, maybe you weren't able to follow all that was said today, but hear this warning Don't neglect church preaching. Don't refrain from professing faith and coming to to partake of the sacraments. Your Father in heaven has given the promises to you in your baptism, and you are to say yes and amen to those promises in the Lord's Supper. You are to live a life that, that strengthens your faith through the preaching of the word. In the administration of the sacraments, don't neglect them. God has given us all we need. When we neglect what he's given to us, we don't have what we need. And that's on us. It's not on him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for the blessing of the sacraments, for the blessing of your word. Your word is the the center of it all, what is necessary to the preaching of the word, and the administration of the sacraments. But it's these means of grace that we see strength in our faith. We pray that we would not neglect them, but rather in faith partake, and so see that faith nourished by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We ask this in your great name. Amen.